This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. We are going to have some fun. I want to welcome you. For those of you who are brand new, our lead pastor, Joel, is with his daughter, Indy, and they're on that Mexico trip I talked about just a minute ago. So, I'm pinch-hitting, and so... There you go. They called me off the bench and back into the game. So, yeah. You are all too kind, and I'm going to be in real trouble. Would you excuse me for a tech moment, okay? Now at least I know what's coming. Okay, so let's start this all over again. I'm so happy you're here. We are going to have a great time. Um, I'm going to teach us through a mini-series. It is only two Sundays long, and as I look back over my ministry life, one of the things that I'm struck with is the thing that Jesus talked about the most I might have talked about the least. There's something wrong with that, right? Yeah. So I want to pull that back up. And let's talk about the thing that Jesus talked about the most. As you read through, there are four documentaries of Jesus' life in the Bible. And as you read through them, you will find passages like this. Jesus ministered from place to place throughout all the province of Galilee, and he taught in the synagogues, preaching the wonderful news of the what? Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah. And again, this is Jesus teaching people. He said, the kingdom of heaven is coming soon. You find these statements all throughout the documentaries of Jesus' life. And one of the first questions that kind of pops up into my mind is, I wonder why Jesus used and chose the word kingdom. Because that's not a word we use very often, except in one context. And I think by looking at the context in which we use the word kingdom, most often in our country, we can learn some wonderful things about the actual kingdom of Jesus. And do you know where we use the word kingdom most often? It's called the magic kingdom. (laughs) Isn't it? That's where we use it. And we all love going to this place, right? You know, it's interesting. Walt Disney envisioned a kingdom that he knew would eventually be called the magic kingdom. He liked to refer to it as that. And he knew eventually it would be dubbed the happiest place on earth. Hmm. And he knew if that was going to take place, he had to create a culture that once you stepped inside the borders of that kingdom, that this culture would overtake you. And it would create inside you feelings 
that you rarely got outside of that kingdom. Let's see if we can name four of them. Number one, he knew that if he was going to create this magic kingdom, the happiest place on earth, when people stepped across the border and into that kingdom, they needed to be greeted. They needed to be treated like people who were honored and revered guests. No matter their skin color, no matter their social status, no matter their gender or even sexual orientation, no matter how many crimes they had ever committed in life, no matter what they had done, no matter how many times they'd been married and divorced or not married or wished they were married, it didn't make any difference, no matter how many children they had or didn't have, if you were a human being and you stepped inside the magic kingdom, you were immediately an honored guest. Secondly, he knew that if, if this kingdom was going to be magic in any way, it had to be a place where people would forget their troubles. So they would be immediately distracted to amazing things to the point that they could at least temporarily forget all the other challenges that they might be facing in life. He also knew, he knew that, that they had to be amazed by things. There's no magic kingdom unless there's something magical or amazing about it. And so he knew that, they had, that their attention had to be captured with things that would amaze them. And last of all, he knew that they had to be, that their focus had to be placed on the most important and the best things in life. And that's why Disneyland is this magical kingdom that we often call the happiest place on earth. Did you know that Jesus had those very ideas only in bigger, better, and fuller form when he envisioned his kingdom that would be not just the happiest place on earth, it would be the healthiest place on earth. A place where everyone, the moment you stepped into his kingdom, the moment you stepped into the church, the moment for us that you set foot in this parking lot or the moment that you tuned us in via the live stream, the moment that you walked into our lobby, that you would feel treated as an honored guest no matter the color of your skin, no matter what you have done, no matter your social status, no matter your gender or sexual orientation, no matter anything about you, that you would be treated like an honored guest. And in this kingdom of Jesus, we wouldn't help you temporarily forget your troubles. In the kingdom of Jesus, Jesus will help you deal with your troubles. And he will get you forgiven. 
and he will begin the healing process so that when you walk out the door of the church, you wouldn't be walking outside the kingdom of Jesus, but the kingdom of Jesus is something you would take with you wherever you go. And in this kingdom of Jesus, you wouldn't just be amazed by things that seem too good to be true. You would be amazed by divine things that only God could do. The transformation of a human heart and life from a destructive lifestyle to a lifestyle that not only blesses itself, but blesses others. And last of all, your attention and focus would be captured not only by the best things in this life, but the wonderful things of eternity. If there's one wish that Jesus has for everyone, if there's one wish I have for everyone, if there's one wish this church has for everyone, it's that everyone would know what it feels like to live in the magical and divine kingdom of Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? It's awesome. So we're going to press into that over the next two weeks. This is the basis of the whole series, and I want you to understand this. The kingdoms of this world desperately need the kingdoms of Jesus. That's what's wrong with our world. If you wonder why there's so much division in our country, it's because it has too much of the kingdoms of this world and not enough of the kingdom of Jesus in it. Yeah, it's true. But not only do the kingdoms of this world need the kingdom of Jesus, but friend, you and I do. We need the kingdom of Jesus. Why? Because it brings out the best in us. He really does. Not just wearing the name of Jesus and kind of claiming to be a Christian, but we, when we learn to invite Jesus into our life to where our heart becomes the place where he rules and reigns, not controlling us, transforming us, bringing out the best in us. It's beautiful. Not only brings out the best in us, it brings out the best in those around us. And you know what? When Jesus is bringing out the best in me, and Jesus is bringing out the best in you, we can walk in harmony even if we disagree about who we vote for. Isn't that amazing? We can walk in harmony even if we disagree on how the homeless should be treated, what we should do for them, with them. Even when we don't agree on many other things, we have this ability to walk in harmony because we are exuding the beautiful and wonderful and gracious and loving and forgiving and accepting character of Jesus. It's the culture of Jesus that begins to flow out of us. So, let's look at three things about the kingdom of Jesus that make it different from all other things. And then, 
If you come back next week, we're going to look at four really, really big things about the kingdom of Jesus that make it fundamentally different from every other kingdom in the world. And I promise you up front, they are inspiring. I promise you up front, they are challenging and they are difference makers in our world. So let's start with three things today about the kingdom of Jesus. Number one, the kingdom of Jesus does not compete with other kingdoms. It works within them. That's why the kingdom of Jesus is no threat to any kingdom on the face of planet earth. It can exist within that kingdom. It can exist in America. It can exist in England. It can exist in Africa, South America, Australia, Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. It can can exist in every kingdom on the face of the earth because it does not compete with them. It actually brings out the best that they have. Imagine how different America would be today if instead of staking out our corners of what we believe and what we think and what we want to have happen, instead of staking out our corners if we would learn to put our arms around each other and say, let's figure this out together. And friends, though we would like to see that happen in Washington, D.C., don't hold your breath. Okay? You know what? It will never happen in Washington, D.C., until it begins to happen in communities like Petaluma and Rohnert Park and Santa Rosa and Novato and Sonoma. Are you on board with that? That's where it has to happen. And guess who should be leading the way? Us, the kingdom of Jesus. Yes. You see, the royal power of any kingdom realm of of Jesus' kingdom. Here's how Jesus said it. The royal power of my kingdom realm doesn't come from this world. If it did, then my followers would be fighting to the end. If you find yourself wanting to fight, it's a good idea to check what's happening in your life because you're about ready to step outside the kingdom of Jesus and do something Jesus would never do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Number two, the kingdom of Jesus isn't about land, power, wealth, or control. By the way, you know what those four things are? They are the four things everybody fights over. There they are, the unholy four. But the kingdom of Jesus is about empowerment. It's about transformation. It's about relationships. And it's about inner peace. And by the way, no one fights about that. Yeah. The kingdom of Jesus isn't built around taxing people. About getting them to live by governmental regulations. It isn't about acquiring land or or establishing borders. The kingdom of Jesus is about empowering people. It's about transforming darkness into light. 
It's about helping people build lasting, loving, healthy, mutually beneficial relationships. It's about enabling people to have inner peace no matter what circumstance they find themselves in in this life. As Jesus said, God's kingdom does not come simply by obeying principles. That's why you'd never come to this church and find a checklist of things you need to be doing. That's not the kingdom of Jesus. God's kingdom realm is already expanding within some of you. God saw people catching on to this idea of his kingdom, and he was so encouraged by it. And number three, the kingdom of Jesus will outlast every other kingdom. Don't you love that about the kingdom of Jesus? The prophet Daniel said it like this, God who rules from heaven will set up an eternal kingdom that will never fall. You know what? The kingdom of Jesus is not only better than all the kingdoms of this world, it is above all the kingdoms of this world and they exist within the kingdom of God and it will last beyond all the kingdoms of this world. And this is why with everything I have in my being, I would say to you today, if you're not a part of the kingdom of Jesus, you should be. It is the greatest thing you could ever do with your life. It's the greatest thing you could ever join in your entire life. And it's the only thing that you can join that will bring out the best in you, the best in everyone around you, and last long beyond this earth. So Paul, one of the people who was closest to Jesus and one of the earliest leaders in the church way back 2,000 years ago, began to write to his friends about the culture inside the kingdom of Jesus, and he began to describe it for them. And here's what he wrote. Dear friends, what should be your proper response to God's marvelous mercies to you? To surrender yourselves to God, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you could ever do for him. Hmm. Now, there's a couple of highlighted uh, phrases in there, surrender yourselves and embracing what God does for you. We're going to focus on those for a minute. So, surrendering and embracing, just up front, I just would like to make an observation that those are not natural for any of us. If I came up to you and said, you know, the only thing I need for you is that you would surrender to me. How does that make you feel? <laughs> There's something inside you that goes, no way. <laughs> That's not going to happen. We don't like to surrender. It's not natural for us. 
And why isn't it natural for us? Because there's a couple of principles that are in operation here. And the first has to do with control. When we surrender, we yield control of whatever it is that is so valuable to us. And we yield control of it to someone else. And the thought that we have, the concern that we have, is what if they don't take as good care of it as I do. And when it comes to God, I think we have another control issue. What if he asks me to do something with my life that I don't want to do? Anybody relate to that? Good, we got like six honest people in this room. Everybody has that issue. Okay? I'll just give you a little confession. Years ago, when I became a pastor, one of the two things that I said to God I never want to do in my life, and I won't tell you what the second one is because I also did that here. Okay? But one of the two things I said to God I never want to do is start a church. (laughs) For those of you who are new, I planted this church. Yeah. How did that work out? Yeah. (laughs) In fact, I was so dead set against it that when a friend of mine said to me, hey, Ron, I know a church that's getting ready to plant five churches. Are you interested in planting a church? I said, no. And my lovely wife was standing next to me. And when that conversation ended, she looked at me and she said, Ron, I'm so surprised. I said, about what? I've never known you to say no without at least praying about it. You know what the first thought that came into my mind was? That's so far off of my want-to-do list, I don't even need to pray about that. But Monica was way more holy than me. And so I said to her, I'll pray. And you you know the rest of the story. But there's one other thing. I started exploring options of where I could go. And God knew me well enough to know that if he didn't close every other door of opportunity in my life, I would have taken any of them over coming here. So what do you think he did? He closed them all. And what do you think my response to that was? I said, God, I don't get it. I've been a pastor 25 years. I have given everything I know how to give. I have loved people with every ounce of love in my heart. I have served long hours. I've worked 60, 70, and 80 hour work weeks. I've done this for 25 years. And the best you have for me used to go to pet a what? I don't even know where that place is. 
And do what? Start a church? I thought we had an understanding. And so God just closed every other door. And I like to say, being the spiritual giant that I am, I figured it out. (laughs) And so I came. There's that control issue. So Paul says, the first thing that happens in the kingdom of Jesus is this personal surrender of laying my life down and saying, okay, God, okay, Jesus, I give you my yes. You fill in the blank. I'll do it. The second thing is something you see in your four-year-old when you're trying to teach them how to tie a shoe. If your four-year-old was anything like the three four-year-olds that Monica and I raised, they had two words that they loved. Do myself. And you'd be in there trying to tie their shoe, and they got their chubby little hands in there, pulling on all the shoestrings, all the different directions, and you finally said, okay, do yourself. I can't do it, would you do it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's something in us that really wants to do this thing ourselves. And what is it that Paul says? He says that we are to... Let's go back one slide, Gus. He said... We are to accept or embrace what God does for us. And I want to encourage you today. One of the greatest things that you can do is accept what God wants to do for you. Now, the next thing that we learn is in that part of the passage that says... Take your everyday life, you know, your eating, sleeping, walking around, working, that kind of life. Take it all and lay it down before God. Jesus never envisioned a sometimes kingdom. You see, the kingdom of Jesus, the culture in it, isn't a posture we assume at chosen times like Sunday morning After we get out of the car from yelling at our kids, we put on our kingdom culture and we walk into church. That's never how Jesus envisioned it. It's not a sometimes culture. It's not a place that we go to periodically. If you're taking notes or even if you're just remembering it here, I want you to remember these two words. Immersive culture. The kingdom of Jesus is an immersive culture. And when we make it the one culture that that we live in our lives, when it becomes the one culture, it begins to transform all of our lives, not just how we feel for an hour or two on Sunday morning or when we want God to answer a specific prayer for us. We kind of slide into our kingdom culture and pray our prayer. No, it becomes immersive. Everything we do becomes immersive. And then it becomes 
transformation. Radical things begin to happen in the sight of us. Now see, you and I have a personal culture. If you're as old as me, you will remember an old cartoon strip of Andy Cap. And, yeah, I know. All of you oldies are shaking your head. There was a guy in Andy Cap that looked like that looked like this. He has a pulse, a personal culture. Now, this guy's name is Joe, and if you look him up, his last his last name is spelled B-T-F-S-P-L-K. Pronounce that. You can't. It's impossible. And everywhere he goes, there's a rain cloud. And there are people that everywhere they go, life is tough. And it's hard. And it's never going to turn out well. And they're never treated correctly. And the boss never understands them. And the boss never really rewards them appropriately. And their husband or wife isn't really appreciative. And only God knows why they got their kids. Because, you know, they're a challenge too. They have a personal culture. But you know what? This next guy has a personal culture as well. Don't you like him? Well, I like him better than this guy at least. He has a cloud in his life, but he's got a string on the cloud and he's going to take the cloud where he wants it to go. He's walking in the sunshine. The point is, we all have a personal culture that we carry with us. And here is the big idea. The big idea is what if our personal culture was the kingdom of Jesus culture. Could you get on board with that? Wouldn't it be great if everywhere we went, we just exuded the kingdom culture of Jesus? Well, Paul, in the next paragraph, begins to talk about how that could happen. He says, don't let the world squeeze you around you, squeeze you into its own mold. In fact, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Now, what Paul was really saying is that the kingdoms of this world exert a constant pressure on us to live according to their culture. Have you noticed that? It never goes away. You know, it starts really early in life. Numerous studies have shown that by the time children go to preschool, they have already figured out who the beautiful ones are, who the wealthy ones are, who the smart ones are, who the plain ones are, who the not-so-smart ones are, and who the socially elite are, and who the socially challenged are. Did you know that four-year-olds know that already? Wow. The kingdoms of this world exert a constant pressure that tries to suck us back into the culture that governs the kingdoms of this world. It's important for us to expect it, to get used to it, and to never expect it to let up, but not to give in to it either. Now, Paul lays out the answer. He says, instead... Allow yourselves to be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. What Paul is really saying is we we cannot create the nature of the kingdom of Jesus in us. Listen, you and I can choose to be part of the kingdom of Jesus, but we can never create the culture 
of the kingdom of Jesus, even in our own lives. We can try to mimic it, but it'll never be the real thing. It'll never be anything close to the real thing. Because only the Holy Spirit can do this. We can choose to enter the kingdom of Jesus and we can choose to open ourselves daily to the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we do, we will discover something quite wonderful. Look what Paul says next. Paul says, in this way, you will prove in real life that the plan of God for you is what? Good. It's so good, it's better than anything you could come up with on your own. If you'll just trust, if you'll surrender, and you'll embrace what God wants to do in your life, and you open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit every day, in the end, you will find out that what God has for you is fantastic. So how good is it? Well, Paul wrote in a different place a description. And let's take a look at it. He says, the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues every fear that you might have, patience that endures every circumstance, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, and gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. How good does that sound? That's awesome. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's the kingdom culture that the Spirit of God wants to create in us. You know what, friends? Nobody fights over these. There's no war over these. There's no battle in Capitol Hill over these. None of these ever split a family. None of these ever put pressure on a relationship, on a marriage. Wow. This is what our world needs. You see, we're going to go right back to where we started. The kingdoms of this world desperately need the kingdoms of Jesus. And guess what? You and I, desperately need the kingdom of Jesus in our hearts, in our homes, as we parent our children. Let's take it to the workplace with us. Not a preachy gospel that tells everybody turn or burn. That's not the culture of the kingdom of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, and the things we just read. Let's take those with us to the workplace. So there are three ways that you and I could respond, and we're going to give us a minute or two to respond before we end our service. Number one, you could choose to enter the kingdom of Jesus today. That would be awesome. If you choose to enter the kingdom of Jesus today, I'd like to know about it. So if you have a pencil, or even if you just have memory, you can remember this. Would you send me a message through email? My email is ron at newlifepetaluma.com. That's pretty easy, okay? I would love to know about it, not just to know about it. I would love to pray for you this week. 
so you could choose to enter the kingdom of Jesus. If you're already in the kingdom of Jesus, you could open your heart in a fresh and new way to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life this week. I think that'd be good for all of us who are Christians. And last of all, if you want to learn more, you can come back next week because we're going to learn four amazing distinctives that make the kingdom of Jesus so unlike any other kingdom in this world. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.